Well, I got up this morning. I had got up about 5.30, was praying, and then I was so tired, I was like, I'm going to go back to bed for a little bit. And so I crawled back over to the bed, and just as I got in the bed, I felt the Lord say to me, you may be through talking to me, but I'm not through talking to you. <laughs> you can always know it's the Lord. It has a certain sound the way he talks to you. So I crawled back out of the bed. <laughs> and one of the first things he started doing is talk to me about what to speak on tonight. And, you know, I try to tell the Lord, I've got two or 3,000 lessons already written up that have never been preached. But he likes new ones. He likes you to start over with just a sentence at the top of the page or just an idea. And God has been speaking to me on a subject. So tonight we're going to talk about your war with blame. Blame. Genesis 3, 1, 12, and 13. This is where the blame game started. That's not um, new. I mean, people have talked about this forever, is that right after mankind fell, they started blaming each other. Blame just started being thrown in every direction. And so as soon as you sin and you get into the world of sin, you've started blaming. And I want you to wake up to blame because I'm going to tell you something interesting about it. I'll tell you the one thing the Lord has been speaking to me on. But the blame game just moved. You enter the blame game, and part one is Adam blames Eve. In other words, husbands blame their wives. Men blame women. <laughs> Passives blame the deceived one. Everybody blames everyone. And he blamed Eve, and he said it was that woman. You've heard the joke, guys. That's the woman. She ate us out of house and home. <laughs> the blame game. And so then the blame game moves to part two, and Eve blames the serpent. A serpent. Serpent. So the blame game part two is Eve puts the blame on that snake. And so we play the blame game, though, with God, and we blame up and down. We blame everyone in between. The tree, the serpent, the woman, the devil... We just blame them all. Satan, just start blaming them. So I want to ask you, do any of you have a problem with blame? Is that what any of you struggle with? Of course not. Everyone you blame deserves it. <laughs> there is not a person in here that if I gave an altar call and said, come forward, you have a problem with blame, you go, oh, no, it's not blame. It's just I tell the truth and no one else does. They deserve exactly what I'm giving them. Well, do you have a problem with blame? We may ask that again at the end. Blame others. This is the one that I was thinking of, that, you know, blame in the perspective of blaming other people. But I'm going to add this, but it also can be blame yourself, too. Have you ever gotten that blame cycle about yourself? I call it blame shame. Shame blame. And it goes backwards and forth. Sometimes it's what causes you to blame others, because blame shame, shame blame. I don't know if it'd work as good in the Greek or Hebrew, but it sounds good in English. And it's full of condemnation and guilt. It just ruins it for you. You know, I was talking to little Alicia, and she goes, Oh, I just wouldn't put the blame on anyone. I just wouldn't put the blame on them. Maybe for 24 hours. But then after 24 hours, she shifts the blame to herself. Are you that person? Do you shift the blame to yourself? What's the biblical answer? What should it look like? 
Well, this is what the Lord was speaking to me. And he said, I'm going to give you another word for blind. And in place of blind, I use this word, powerlessness. He told me, when you blame, Angie, the other word for it is powerlessness. Powerlessness. When I blame, I believe I'm powerless. That's why I have to start shifting it, shuffling it, turn it around. I'm powerless all the way down. And you've got to ask yourself, what would it look like if I wasn't powerless? Would I be blaming? Blame only comes about when you feel powerless. So the minute you feel like blaming someone, check yourself and say, am I feeling powerless on this? Instead of blaming someone, I change out that word and I say I'm powerless. I'm in this situation because I am blaming. So you're saying to yourself, I'm completely without any options, have nothing to do. Have you ever felt like that about something in your past that you regret, something you did? Some of us, we regret something we do every day. That's usually called our mouth. You know, we say something like we leap into something mouth first. The regret. But if you have something that in your past that you say, I hate what happened in my past, there's blame attached around it. If you have something that you deeply, deeply regret, you have boxed it in with blame. The past has happened, and I tell you what you're saying to yourself about the past. It's happened. I can't do anything about it. There's nothing I can do about it. Do you feel the powerlessness? I'm trapped. I'm going to blame. So look at how blame is attached to those things that you feel in your past, that shame, all those different things. So what does it look like? Now, I want you to go through this with me. I feel powerless, so I don't do anything to correct things. I'm powerless. I have no power that God has given me. Say it to yourself, because this is what you're telling yourself when you get into blame. I have no power. I have nothing I can do. God has not given me any power. I have no gifts of power from God, from the Lord. I'm powerless. Personally, I have no, no authority in the name of Jesus. I never used the name of Jesus. I'm powerless. I don't ever think about using my authority in a situation. I have never been a partaker of the power of God. There's no partnership between me and God. I have never partaken of the word. The Holy Spirit is powerless within me. Just say how that makes you feel. The Holy Spirit is powerless within me. In reality, the truth is, as someone so deftly put it today, in reality, they may truly be powerless. And if that's the case, it's going to be a lot of blame you feel because you truly aren't doing any of these things. I had hoped this was facetious. Because if we're blaming, we feel powerless. We feel like we're stuck. We feel like the past is there. We feel like there's not anything we can do about it. We feel like it defines us. That's where blame comes in. Let me tell you the first answer to get out of blame. And it's kind of unusual. And that is agree with your enemy. Agree with the accuser. The first thing that you can say is, you're right, I'm guilty. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like sometimes I can do it the worst possible way for it to be done. 
Romans 3.23. And for the wages of sin, it's death. I earned what I'm getting, the consequences. Someone said you can pick your sin, but you can't pick your consequences. James declares, for whoever shall try to keep the whole law, if you sin in one little point, you're guilty of the whole law. What do you do? Agree with the devil. He's accusing you. It says night and day the devil accuses you. He accuses you. He accuses you before God. He accuses you. He accuses you in your head. He constantly is accusing you. And in Matthew 5, it says agree with your enemy. It's true. It's true. These things are true. I've done it. I've sinned. Own it. But then let me hear what comes next. We'll talk about what has to take place. But when Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you and the power of God comes into your life and you receive the fact that God has forgiven you of your sins and the blood of the new covenant has separated you, then you say, I am a brand new creature. I am totally new. You know, one time I saw this guy and he went down into the audience of 20,000 people. He was a preacher. I was shocked at what he did. And he grabbed up a little baby. He held this baby up, and he goes, do you like this baby? Is it cute? And everybody was like, yeah, yeah. Is this baby, is it wonderful? Oh, yeah, the baby's wonderful. And I don't care how ugly a baby is. Everybody says that. You know, it's just a great baby. And all of a sudden, he goes, if you knew this baby's past, you wouldn't be saying it. And 20,000 people groan. He goes, if you knew what this baby had done, you wouldn't be thinking that. We were all like, wow, starts young on some people, I guess. I mean, it's a little baby. And he goes, no, if you knew what this baby had done. And then he said, that's you. Isn't that ridiculous to even think that a baby's done anything? When you're born again, you are a new creature in Christ. It would be as dumb as saying that that baby sinned. It's ridiculous. You get a brand new start. This is called a divine reset. Thank the Lord. Some of you were quite the heathens. <laughs> this gives the start over. I'm a new creature. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I have wisdom. I have power that God has given me. I have gifts of the power of the Lord. There operate in my life every day. I couldn't even do my life without the power of God. Personally, I have authority in the name of Jesus, and I use my God-given authority. In fact, after being in cross lines, I've been yelled at so much, I use my authority before I have a problem. I get up and I do preventative prayer. I have authority before my day comes. I'm praying that there's not going to be a problem I face today, that I don't have the power of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord to face it. I know who I am in Christ. I've been a partaker of the power of God. There's a divine partnership between me and God. God and I walk around, and I have his mind on it. I think what he would think about it. I have my mind renewed to the word of God. I am totally a new person. The Holy Spirit is powerful within me, and I love truth. Amen. That person's not into blame. <laughs> That person has a new way to live their life. That person has done what I said earlier, owned it. So first, you own the fact that apart from Christ, there is nothing good in you. But with Christ, don't call him bad. Don't make it like he has problems. You're that new baby. So 
with blame, we're starting at that point because that's the starting place. You have got to have made that peace with God to start where I'm going to take you now. So what's the opposite of this? Why do we blame? When we're a Christian, when we're a believer, and we totally believe that God has forgiven our sins, and we totally agree with the fact that I have power in my life and authority, and I walk in strength and truth and wisdom, then why do I get into powerlessness and blame? Why do I sink to that level? All right, let's take the next step. Why do we do it? Well, first of all, sometimes we all do a piece of stupid. I mean, sometimes we blame, we really do dumb things. You know, it's ironic and funny to hear someone say or hear someone say some of the dumb things people say. But you remember, I mean, you might be thinking right now, in the Bible, who would you give the award to for the dumbest excuse in the Bible for not doing what God wanted them to? (laughs) That's really good. We might should just stick there. I heard the boys say Eve. I heard the women say Adam. (laughs) Well, I was going to say Aaron. You know when he said, why did you worship the cow? Oh, I just threw the gold in and out it popped. I didn't make an idol. It just jumped out of the fire looking like that. I mean, that's as bad as the dog ate my homework. I mean, if you talk about dumb, to me, if I had been Moses, I'd just killed Aaron right there on the spot. It's just dumb things. So sometimes, y'all, why you say the dumbest stuff is you're making up huge stories to cover your blame. And you know the worst person to lie to? Yourself. Because <laughs> we lie to ourselves. You know, I was reading this book on criminal minds. What makes a criminal mind? But anyway, I worked as a volunteer in the prison. I told you, I wanted to just go somewhere and see someone that had murdered somebody. I mean, would the gospel work on someone that murdered their mother or father? And there were so many in there that have killed them for taking their cell phone away. I mean, this I really enjoyed prison work. But then after being around them so often, I had to do a little bit of studying about these guys. And one of the chief things they said that makes you different than a non-criminal, let's see if y'all pass the test because you might have a, a career ahead of you in being a criminal. But what makes you different? The oddity is, this is how a criminal thinks. If I get caught, I'm guilty. If I don't get caught, I'm not guilty. <laughs> it's only if they get caught they think they're guilty. Mm. That's always, I think that was funny. So when we get caught, watch this, sometimes when we get caught doing something and our first response is, who told? (laughs) Instead of accepting responsibility, we want to know who was the snitch? Who told on us? I mean, feel it. I've been caught before and the first thing I want to know is who double-crossed me? Who did it? Uh Uh-huh. Isn't that, aren't we fleshy? There is no responsibility in our bodies. I mean, we are looking around for who got us in trouble. So that's still under dumb. (laughs) We're still under stupid. (laughs) Thank goodness for the blood of Jesus. The second thing is you don't want to have happen to you with blame is you pick up a victim mentality. Mm, They're so easy to pick up. 
if you pick up a victim mentality, they have to have a reason to blame someone because they are a victim. Now let's start out with something. Uh, let's talk about a real victim. Something really did go down wrong with them. Do they have a right to blame? Like someone really did something horrible to them. Young. Do they have a right? Yes. Why is blame powerlessness if someone really did it to them? You didn't do it to yourself. Someone did it to you. So explain this to me. Because victims blame someone. And let's start out with, it's legit. We're going to pick that up of where that goes from here. But when it moves from you were a legit victim at this point in your life, this really happened to you. You were legitimately a victim. And you pick it up. What often takes place is you pick up a victim mentality with it. And powerlessness sets in. Victims don't take responsibility. Victims are powerless. And if you find yourself thinking like a victim, you're blaming people more than you think. Victims have to blame. And then what's odd is our society has picked it up. Read Facebook. Everybody's a victim. I mean, me too. <laughs> Everybody's a victim. And victims have to blame. So we make litigation. That makes us feel powerful. We will just sue you for making us a victim. And we've messed up our culture because with blame and with the victim mentality, it's not only acceptable but listen to this word, it is profitable to shift the blame. It makes your pocket thicker if you shift blame. There are people out there hoping something bad will happen to them so they get more money. That's society. Some people are hoping something will happen to them so more people will pay attention to them, feel sorry for them. This is getting sick. At the prison, I had one guy and his family just went around in town hoping something would happen and they'd sue. A ceiling tile fell out of Walmart and they sued Walmart. Did it hurt them? No, it's styrofoam. But they sued them because that ceiling tile looked down and hated them. And said, this is a gender, evil, racial, religious Reason I'm going to fall out of the ceiling and I'm going to hit you and I'm going to sue you for being you. <laughs> Litigation. And that's our culture now. <laughs> it's called identity, politics, <laughs> litigation. So now victims sue and we've armed them so that they can feel more powerful. But when it becomes a victim mentality, that's the danger for your soul because you don't want to think like a victim. You don't want to think powerless. I don't care if everybody in your life's done you wrong. I don't care if you've had horrible situations and have gender abuse, that you've had bad things happen to you, that other nationalities of people have hurt you, that we have this where men come home from fighting a war and they're still angry at the people they fought with. You have to work to not become powerless and pick up a victim mentality. All right, we're moving from dumb on victim mentality, and some of it is, number three under dumb is 
we don't want to be wrong. It's as simple as that. When we have problems and something's not working right, heavens to Betsy, it's not me. Something's not working right. I'm looking around who to blame. Oh, you find someone. And so the answer, you've got to find out where the responsibility lies, where the problem is so you can fix it. You can't drown yourself in excuses. You know, that blame creeps into how you look at God. And sometimes we say to God, like, uh, if I made more money, I would tithe. Well, if I had as much as that person has, much money as they had, I'd give too. Well, you know, I would have gone to my job if my sibling hadn't been late coming to pick me up with their car. No thankfulness for the car that you don't have. Well, if I just had that car, I'd have a good job. You're thinking powerless. You're not thinking options. You're not thinking what God could do. You're not asking God. You're blame, 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 blame. Okay, let's get off dumb. Let's move to failure. The blame game reveals a lack of responsibility. The first thing you do that lets me know you're an adult is you take responsibility for yourself. That's when a parent can hand you the car keys. It shouldn't be they hand you the car keys when you turn to a certain age. Parents should hand you the car keys when you take responsibility for yourself. God should not hand you the keys <laughs> to the kingdom until you take responsibility for yourself. The blame game. Every time we fail, it starts being played. If you feel like you're not successful and you're a failure, you're in blame. And let me tell you, I don't care how much you got going for you, you will continuously fail until you get out of blame. You can't get past it. Blame is what holds you into failure. You know, you think about Adam and Eve. The first thing they did was, I'm going to cover my mistakes with fig leaves. I'm going to cover my shame. I'm going to cover it with fig leaves. And the Lord had to take them, and he had to put animal skins on them. Because you've got to realize you can't cover your mistakes. Only God can cover you. And where people make a mistake is they try to cover themselves. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about Christians try to cover themselves. This is where it starts. Attempted coverings. You need to make a list of attempted coverings that you have around yourself. We can't cover ourselves. God has to intervene. We have to turn to him. When you blame God, it's a deep, deep state of immaturity because you haven't found the real problem. What was the real problem for their failure in the garden? Well, the snake. He said, have you ever noticed that up there? And it said it really appealed to their eyes, and it really appealed to their flesh. And it really made them have that boastful pride of life. It really did something for their ego. And then Steph Lansing, it did something for their curiosity. <laughs> what was the real problem for their failure? It appeals to something in you. It's bait. And it raised up questions that blamed God. A small seed of blame came. Think about this. Uh, do you like this language? Satan smuggles blame into the garden. 
Listen to his words. He insinuated blame. That's a good college word right there. He insinuated blame. Is it, listen to the serpent. Listen to how he talks to you. Is it true that God said you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? See, he's starting to say, is it true? Then watch what he says next. You shall not die because God knows in the day you eat, you'll become like God and you will know good from evil. Now I want you to watch the shift in this. Satan moves from a subtle little hint of blame to a flat-out lie where he calls God a liar. Do you see the movement? Do you think God is hiding something from you? He didn't have your best interest in mind? Do you think if you sell out to God, you'll have a rotten future? Girls, do you think if you sell out to God, God will make you marry an ugly man? (laughs) Guys, do you fear if you give it all to God, he'll make you marry a church girl that has hair on her legs, wears socks with her her high heels? Do you think that she'll have no makeup on? Oh, wait, I better back up off of that one. Uh, Do you think that that's what God's going to do to you if you sell out to God? It's subtle at first, but then it pounds it in there. God knows the day that you eat, you shall not die. You know, God was blamed for holding out, and Eve took the bait. Satan is deceptive, he's crafty, and he's not straightforward. Let me tell you what went wrong in the garden, and you need to own this. It was a discernment failure. Quit blaming and look at your discernment. Blame is not having discernment. So you tell yourself, okay, I'll just... I'll do this, God. I'll just blame myself. And everything that you read on that, you know what they say at this? You shouldn't be blaming others when you should blame yourself. It's your fault. I'm going to take the thing, blame's wrong when it's you. And the reason why I say blame is wrong when you blame yourself, I want you to hear the difference in it. Because there's something in you that thinks you need to be punished. There's something in you called guilt. And I've known a lot of guilty Christians. They're guilty, guilty, guilty. They feel guilty about everything. And you know what's funny about guilty Christians? They're not more righteous than the other ones. Guilt doesn't have the power to make you righteous. Guilt's just the reality you get when you sin. So if you punish yourself and say, I'm just going to always make myself feel guilty. I'm going to just always hold something over my head. Just always make myself remember, you know, I'm going to just step on my toe every day to just make myself know that I'm a, a terrible person. It doesn't fix you. So do you see how the devil, he's come into your garden, he's lied to you. Don't blame someone else. Leisha, little Leisha, switch it to yourself. Switch it to yourself. Make yourself feel guilty. Guess what? When you do that, you're just as much apart from Christ as the person who blames others. You're just as much apart from Christ as the person who blames God.
Guilt is not the answer to sin. Jesus is. And if you take the guilt route, you're covering yourself in fig leaves. You're trying to figure it out on yourself. When you try to hang on to something, justify hanging on to something, I can't stop feeling sorry for myself because dot, dot, dot. I feel sorry for myself. I feel sorry for myself. You know, it's funny what failure does. Today I had someone in. Anyway, I gave them a word. I said, what you're supposed to do is call Brother Jacob. And so I called Brother Jacob for him, set it up that they'd get a chance to speak to him. They called me back, or text me back. I called and he didn't answer. And inside of it is that excuse. It's that veiled blame. I'm in pain. I'm in fear. I need help. When you're in pain, when you're in fear, man, you blame everybody. You should not be in pain is what you're telling yourself. It's somebody's fault because I've never felt like this before you. I've never felt this way until you came into my life. That's what it is. And you, you have a revelation. It's what it is, pain. Blaming God, blaming everything, <laughs> blaming everyone else, what is transpiring in our own life. Can we take blame off the table? Is it possible? So these are the first levels. Let's step it up a level to the next level of blame tactics. Have last week's Bible study in mind when I say this one. Blame is a perspective shift in the wrong direction. You need to hear this. I'll repeat it. Blame is a perspective shift in the wrong direction. We are so good at being blame shifters. Some of you college kids, young adults, old people, <laughs> everyone, married people. I'm just telling you everybody I've dealt with. But there are some classic cases of this through the years that I think about. Some of you can put up some smoke screens. Some of you can shift blame so quick it is an art form. You have a way of shifting blame. You don't get rid of blame, you shift it. This is the easiest thing to remember, and I know you're going to say that's dumb, but it's true. When you point the finger, how many are pointing back at you? <laughs> it's debated, three or four. <laughs> when you point the finger, there's more pointing back to you. So fingers pointed right at myself continually as the guilty party when I put that index finger up, blame. Ask, I'm going to say this, ask the Lord what you're doing because we are doing what we accuse the person of doing. And I said every time. And Steph goes, oh, I don't believe that. I said every time you accuse someone, you're doing the very same thing. First of all, it's because you're getting into the realm of your standard of judgment. That God has perfect tests for you on judgment day because you're going to be judged by the standard that you set for other people. If that doesn't scare you and go home and repent, nothing will. So for sure, you're in the realm of the standard of judgment. But I'm going to tell you in a minute the answer to this one. I'm going to make it simple for you because you don't have enough time to figure it out yourself. But it's immaturity because right now, whatever you're accusing someone of, you're doing it. 
You go, no way. They murdered their mother for a cell phone. There's no way I could be doing it. And you tell yourself, no, I can't be doing that. Okay, hold that thought. Okay, so the thing you're accusing and blaming others for, the smoke screens. All right, I want to go into something on the perspective shift, and then we're going to come back to a couple of these. Remember when Aaron said, hey, Moses was late coming down from the mountain, so I just had to do something. You were late. That's in Exodus 32, 1 through 8, or let's just say 1 through 24. Same thing here, Saul. Samuel, you were late after seven days, so I just had to do something. 1 Samuel 13, 8. The first one is they did something away from God. This one, they did something religious towards God. Let's be honest here on this perspective shift. They had legitimate claims. Both Moses and Samuel were later than what they said with their mouth they would be. Both of them. And the people knew it. And they used that. And they said, you didn't do what you say. People of God do what they say. Perspective. Oh, or, listen to this. Well, God, I tried to wait, but you're not moving fast enough, so I think I'll just do it for myself. You see how quick that shift happens? Because that person is a good picture of how you treat them and how you think about it. Someone that plays that accountability for your soul. If you're doing it for them, to them, you're doing it to God. This is my guarantee. If you're doing it to a person that's in your life that has had a big influence on you and you're accusing them of something, you're looking at God and you start moving the bench marks. It is our responsibility to seek God's direction. It is your responsibility to seek God's direction. By intentionally asking, by hearing his voice, oh, and this is the big one, if you didn't get my other list, to accept his timing. It is your responsibility to accept God's timing. You can give yourself a thousand religious reasons for rushing something up. Let me say it to you this way. Sometimes you're solving the wrong problem. You're taking care of the problem because they're late but you're solving the wrong problem. The blame of Moses, the blame of Samuel. You choose which person is the problem. And again, I'm going to say it's the same thing. It's a discernment problem. It's an immaturity problem. You don't have enough discernment to know where the problem is. And especially, this is something that Steph brought up, if you haven't seen this before, if you haven't seen it yet, and you're getting into the prophetic and you start blaming the prophets. Remember, if you honor a prophet that's a true prophet, I'm talking about get rid of all the bad ones, false ones, but a true person of God, you'll tend to get mad at because they offend your flesh. And the devil will see to it that you get a reason to be offended with them. And when you don't honor them, you don't get the reward. You don't get the prophet's reward. It's one of the most unusual verses that Jesus said. And they deceive themselves because they think they're solving the problem. I'm going to put it in my words. They're fixing the situation, but they're not solving the problem. It's immaturity. And so the perspective shift is not taking place. They're not going to God and saying, give me a different way to look at this. What could I be doing wrong? Because let me tell you when I first found this out. When I was 
the person on the ground running the radio station, the Christian radio station. I hate to tell this about myself, but I have to tell it for you to understand. I fired so many people that when it was my birthday party, they gave a super soaker to everyone I had fired and shirts, and they let them chase me with the uh, super soakers. Some had shirts that said, I survived Angie. And out of the house streamed all these people rushing me. And I had my hair done. I had a linen suit out of the dry cleaner. I looked so nice. Usually I don't take that kind of time. It was supposed to be just a sit-down party with my brother and sister-in-law. And they had filled the house full. And as these hornets come out of the house to attack me, I make the assumption, I'm like, why these people? And then there were people over here that didn't have super soakers, and they were so sad. And, and I was like, everybody was mad in this group that didn't have it. And I said, well, who's this group? And they said, that's the few people you didn't fire. This is the group you fired. And some of them you fired up several times. <laughs> and so I got the, the, the joy of eating a toad, Ann, and firing a lot of times because I was determined my kids would have character. And the first time I fired a guy, you feel like you're murdering them, don't you? You feel like it's a murder with your bare hands around their little necks. Massacre. It's horrible. First time I did it, first time I fired someone, that night I went in and got down on my knees. And I told the Lord, the very thing I fired him for, I know I'm doing to you. Show me where I'm doing it. And every person I fired, I'll go home at night. And I ask God, how am I doing it to you? Because it's sure easy to see that employee doing it to me. And the reason I spot it is because I don't like it, but I'm doing it. And every time God will show me how I'm doing it to him. That's why I can assure you that what you accuse someone of, you're doing. And it may be like the famous TV preacher who was accusing someone of a, a scandal and he was doing it himself. It may be that blatant, but worse. You know, when I sin against God, what I tell myself, I've committed a crime against love because God completely loves me. So when I sin against God, I'm committing a crime against his love. It breaks me every time. And so even though that was a great party and everybody enjoyed soaking me and we had a good laugh and all those kids have great paying jobs today and I built good character in them, the reason God loves me is because I'm after his heart. And so sometimes they were in more trouble than I was because killing, stomping, screaming, I slipped in who mattered most to me and I asked God, show me how I did it to you. It's my secret. God loves you when, you when that's how you do it. It's humility. So the classic case that's helped me in discernment is to realize this, that what a person yells about the most, they're doing it. I call it the Delilah syndrome. Delilah blamed Samson for what she was doing. Guys, remember this. When a woman goes, I don't think you love me. You don't love me. You don't love me. Well, every time he would say something, ninjas would jump out and try to kill him. The question should have been, 
Delilah, do you love me? <laughs> the very thing you're demanding of someone else, you got to make sure you're giving. It's a fair question to ask. You know, this is so true, though. Last night this happened to me, people's discernment. A dear friend of mine that we've discussed tonight, he talked to a banker. And we were testing this Christian man's discernment. Hey, is this guy a good guy? Oh, yeah, he's a good guy. He's so nice. That's how Christians discern. They're so nice. Is he a good guy? Well, no one ever says anything bad about him. Let's forget that Jesus said, if everyone speaks well of you, you're not pleasing me. Oh, they're so nice. That very night, I sit with someone, and I hear two wicked, wicked schemes this man did. Lying. I mean, horrible. If you went back to that Christian banker and told him, he would not even believe what this guy had done. Accusing. Do I believe it? Yes, because unfortunately, I've lived long enough to see the Delilah syndrome. The very thing that this evil man was accusing another man of doing, he was doing, and he didn't accuse him. The accused person sues the person for what he is doing, and the paperwork shows it. Exactly, it's shockingly. I went to bed and I was like, woe is me, the world is wicked, it's full of corruption, and I, I'm a play person. I like having fun. I mean, you're not going to find boring Christianity with me. I do all kinds of things for fun. We won't name them. Oops. I'm fun. But it bothers me when people are not having fun and they're into wickedness. And so when I went to bed thinking about it, I was thinking about this shift because you've got to pay attention to people. They'll tell you what they want you to hear, what they want you to believe. And though they're nice on the outside, inside they're like ravenous wolves. And you have to have discernment or you'll find yourself voting for the wrong person. And you'll vote for personality. And you'll condemn the person that stands up against unrighteousness because he's angry. So you may be great at shifting blame of yourself or putting blame on someone else, but not be good at all in doing the perspective shift that the Lord wants you to do. Praying until you get a perspective shift to see the role that you played in it. You have to do what I coached you to do to be able to keep your heart right before God and humble because you may have to do tough things on the outside with people because you do love them, and it's fierce love. <laughs> what is it? Blessed are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You may have to do the tough thing. You need a perspective shift. Remember I told you in Matthew 18, have you ever had someone borrow money and not pay you back, and you watch them buy a $100 pair of jeans but not give you back your $100? It makes you mad. You have a right to be mad. Oh, it just irritates you. People won't pay their debt, but boy, they will buy the best shoes and you're wearing rags because you can't, you can't get that money out of them. And they're going around doing it to everybody and you're justified in it. Matthew 18, this is not blame. This is the truth is what you tell yourself until Jesus gets a hold of you.
and says, you owe me a million bucks and you're choking the guy for a hundred bucks. And it puts it in perspective. It's a perspective shift. You've got to have a perspective shift with blame. Did the guy owe you money? Yes. Do you have a right to get your money back? Yes. Until you think about the money you owe God and how much he's forgiven you of. And then you start saying, I think I can find some mercy in my heart when I think of my worst sin. Blame is always a perspective shift in the wrong direction. It's opposite of what I told you last week. It's having a perspective shift for self, for flesh. It places fault on a person or God and doesn't solve the problem. It leaves you as a failure. It leaves you in powerlessness. You're doing it to God. You are trading blame. What you're trading for is you're taking the blame and saying, I'd rather have blame than have a God-given perspective shift. I'd rather keep my blame of someone than having God change my heart on it and do something powerful in this situation and to bring good out of it. Jesus says, own it. For he who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And I'd rather be chunking stones than ever look at myself. You know, Steph today, she found her earbuds. I hate to tell you how long they've been missing. God told her where her earbuds were. She didn't go searching through all my bags. The Lord told her before she got to my house, they were in my green bag. Guess what she did? She thanked me for keeping them safe for her and my stuff. No blame. She was thankful. Humility. So this is the shift you must make. We're quick to blame God when things go wrong and slow to thank him when things go right. You can know you're doing this. You don't have to have discernment. We're quick to blame God when things go wrong and slow to thank him when things go right. Now, I'm going to tell you a point in your life that you've got to have this perspective that under your parents, it truly was a powerless time in your life. When you were a baby, you were powerless. You were at the mercy of whoever came to visit, anything. You know, it, it intrigues me, this idea of being that vulnerable. When I think about Jesus didn't come to earth as an adult. Can you imagine Jesus as a baby and humans take care of God? That's a little bit of responsibility. Like women, when you have a baby, let me tell you what happens to you. For five years, you cannot let that baby out of your sight or it's on you. For five years, eyes have to be on that child at all times unless you can get them asleep. And then if they sneak out and wake up, it's on you. Powerless. Don't lie to yourself. You are powerless as a baby. And before your accountability age, your parents' good things affect you and your parents' bad things affect you before accountability. And I'm going to say a strong statement here. Parents really can ruin you because you're powerless. We have a tendency to blame our parents as adults for 
anything wrong in our character. And you can make a case for it when you're young. I've heard some grievous things that have happened. This is what I was meaning by truly a victim. And sometimes you'll get older and more mature and realize you can forgive your parents because the thing that they did to you was done to them as, as children. And it's been perpetual. Like it was done to them is why they did it to you and they didn't know better. It's why Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. A lot's done in ignorance. But some of you had some things happen that wasn't done in ignorance. Just because Father's being evil. And it's, and it's, it's horrible. It says that God's heart cries watching children. So you can make a case for this. Parents taught us how to do life, and we have learned a lot of our behavior choices from them. We've learned how to do everything from them. And as you grow, something has to shift, though. And there are terms and age that where you first reach responsibility. And as you reach that age, you no longer can blame your parents. You have to have your mind renewed to the Word of God. A baby is truly powerless, and their parents are truly powerful. It's true. But there comes a time when you have to stop blaming your parents and accept responsibility. A parent can harm their child and ruin their childhood, but a parent cannot and must not have the right to ruin the rest of your life. Some of you have never cut that umbilical cord of when you were powerless to now when you have the Lord Jesus living inside of you. You have to not let your parents wreck the rest of your life. As my dad said, it's time for you to go make the family you wished you'd already had. You can have that. And sometimes the family you have is right here among your Christian brothers and sisters and believers. And it is the family that you wish you could always have. It's for truth. Because if you don't resolve it, it will affect you your whole life. I picked up the phone of 65-year-old women screaming because of something that happened to them when they were 22. And I thought it happened the night before. You have to make war with what happened to you in your past. You have to. You have to resist what happened to you. You have to make war with it. And you have to break that cord because only Jesus can heal the brokenhearted. And I'll tell you how you'll know when you've been healed. You'll remember what happened. He doesn't make you forget it. But it'll feel like it happened to somebody else. The emotion will be gone the pain and you can tell it in your testimony and it'll be your sword but you can truly know if you're emotionally healed when you can talk about it and and it is it is like telling someone else's story so man cannot stay parked in the parent thing too long or going back into the past because it is powerlessness because we'll blame it on something in our past that happened years ago and you have to stop it you have to put an end to it, and you've got to resolve your parental pain because your parents also did some things right. And more than likely, if you had a fairly normal 
childhood. There's more to be thankful for than there is to regret. But there are some things that people have done that are doozies that almost take it all away. So you've got to learn how to get severed from your past, to get rid of blame. This is not just parents. You have to figure out how to put your past in the rearview mirror and leave it there. You must go forward. God made you to go forward. He entrusted you to your parents, but now you're responsible for your own decisions and quit blaming your parents. Stop the blame. You'll stay trapped if you do. You've got to let God heal you. Legitimate or illegitimate pain still has to be healed, but you must move on. Because if you do, this will be your sound of your voice. I can't go back to that church. I can't go back to church because I was hurt there before. I can't do this because this happened to me. I can't do that because this happened to me. It becomes compounded pain. And any time you're uncomfortable or you feel hurt, you have no power to stand against it because you are powerless. And that's the tragedy. You stay a baby the rest of your life because you are powerless. It's a perpetual powerlessness. And the enemy will sell you on it. Poor choices now because of back then. It's a past trap. You know, another word to call it, it's sour grapes. Let me give you a promise verse for it. You're choosing to eat sour grapes. Break off the generational curse now and be redeemed from the sour grapes of your past. Let go of your past in Jesus' name. You know, in James 1.13, I want you to think about this. This is the famous verse that tells you don't blame God. He does everything perfectly and good. Even if your earthly parents weren't good, like it says in Matthew, it says in James 1.13, God only gives good and perfect gifts. So it tells you where the problem is. It says it's not God, but it's my evil desire that allows me to be dragged away and enticed with sin. So notice this about growth. As you grow, it's not God's fault others fault or even satan's fault whose fault is it based on that verse whose fault is it if it says god's perfect we don't pay attention much but it says it's it actually conceives sin gets pregnant and gives birth to death so whose fault is it if it's not god's whose fault is it does anybody dare to answer it says, it's my evil desire that allows me to be dragged away and tied. Well, whose fault is it? Because it was our fault. I'm going to say it's two, two mistakes we make. I think it's a mistake to say it's my fault I'm to blame. I think the other mistake, it's a mistake to say it's not my fault. It's the voice of your friend who says, it's not your fault. You're not to blame for this. And they stroke you. Hear two voices. It's my fault. The other one is, oh, you're not to blame. It's not your fault. That's what the world says on Facebook. It's not your fault. And what happens is humans are trying to own it and punish themselves or to take it away. And you can't. I don't care how extreme your sin is. Everybody will tell you, it's not your fault. 
In this society, you can't say anything to any, anybody. All right, watch this. Don't shift blame to yourself. Shift responsibility. That's the adult word. You have got to let God bear your blame. You've got to get it inside of you. Don't shift blame to yourself. That does not make up for your bad stuff. And don't let someone talk you out of it being your blame or fault. Oh, it's okay. You did. Don't, let, don't listen to that voice. That's your best friend. Slap her. She's trying to give you kisses. Slap her. The wounds are better. Don't shift blame to yourself. Shift responsibility. You have got to let God bear your blame. Or Isaiah 53, 4 through 11 is not true. For God bore your guilt and carried away your sins. You have not let God carry away your guilt and blame if that's the way you think. And then that's how you get to be that baby and start over again. And then you go, but I might have messed up again. And it says, if you have, you're a liar. If you say you haven't, confess your faults. Repent. 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 You can't repent too much. That's how you get rid of blame. It's not God's fault. It's not others' fault. It's not even Satan's fault. It's an evil desire that drags me away. It is my responsibility to deal with my evil desires. I take responsibility for it. And I'm not letting the thoughts, the emotions, or anything stay in my body. I'm shifting this atmosphere, and I'm going to believe what the Word of God says. And I've just become powerful. That's what overcoming is about. Now, the last category, and this is where it gets really dicey. If it's not already, we're going to do shocking. You don't have to lie to play the blame game. Let me tell you what I mean. Blame is not a lie. That's what's keeping you in blame of people and of yourself because it's not a lie. We tend to think that the thing that makes it blame is because it's a lie. We're thinking we're saying slander. Slander's a lie. Slander's when you put out a bad story because you want that girl's boyfriend. That's slander. Blame's not that. How is what they said wrong then if it's the truth? Notice this. Eve responded truthfully to God. Eve had given Adam the fruit and the serpent had deceived her. That is the truth. It's true. It was the woman. She handed me the apple, God. She did it. Eve, it was the truth. The snake came. I hadn't even looked at that piece of fruit until he started telling me how good it is. That's how you get people into sin. Look at that beer. Mm, let's just get drunk tonight. Thinking about it. Uh, well, I mean, you start pointing it out. I never saw it before. So that's what the snake does. He makes you get your eyes on something. And you just start looking at it, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. Okay, it is the truth. Eve was saying the truth. It is blame. It is what happened. It is. So when they say the truth, so how on earth can we be responsible if it's the truth? This is a theological dilemma. What shall we do? The serpent played a role in Eve eating the fruit, and Eve played a role in Adam eating the fruit, both ultimately. 
You've got to separate it out right here. You've got to write this down and tell yourself there is a difference between someone playing a role and someone causing it. The serpent played a role, but the devil did not make her do it. Eve played a role, but the wife did not force Adam to do it. And we're calling it, he made me do it, he caused me to do it, when they played a role in it, but they didn't make you do it. That's responsibility. Adam said, the woman caused it. Honestly, Adam said more than that. He's blaming the woman at that point. The woman caused it. But Adam's statement was, it was that woman you gave me, God. <laughs> Just God, remember, it was your pick. It was a bad pick. Ever since then, God won't pick your mate for you because he's tired of being blamed. Because on the day they're wonderful and you love them and it's the honeymoon, you tell yourself you picked them. On the day you're fighting, you're saying, God, why'd you give me this person? So God doesn't pick spouses anymore. You pick them. He's done with it. He got blamed right from the start. Adam did here. He had looked at it and said, whoa, woman. And he loved her. He didn't blame God then. He didn't thank God then. He rushed right in where fools fear to tread. Where angels don't go. I mean, Adam went straight for it. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. This woman is me. I made her this beautiful and I deserve something this beautiful. This is love. But as soon as there's an argument, it's God's fault. And that's exactly what Adam did here. God, that woman you gave me caused me to, caused me to make all of mankind fall into sin. She did it. Blame. Blame, double blame. Eve said she was a little more gentle. She didn't say it was because my husband's passive and he said nothing. <laughs> she just said the snake did it. Let me tell you, if you don't figure out the difference between dividing the role from the cause and you don't get that straightened out in your mind, you'll fall for what I said. It was the truth. They played a role, but they didn't cause it. Let me tell you, if you allow that, if you allow anyone to cause it in your life as an adult, you become powerless. And you are not taking on the protection that God gives you. You're not taking on the promises. You're not believing your covenant. You're not going where God's telling you to go. You're allowing someone to wreck your life. And just like you can get up in the morning and do preventative praying, you can get up in the morning and you can wreck your life by starting it out with blame by starting it out with anger, by starting it out with pointing fingers. You're starting your life out wrong in the morning, and it's authority gone bad in the wrong direction. If you think in terms of blame, you're also giving someone, you're handing them the right to ruin you. They can play a role, but you have to deny them the right to cause it. You've got to deny right now as an adult the right to anyone to cause you to fail, to not do God's purpose, to walk in blame, you've got to deny the right or you will never be a powerful person with what God has promised you. You have to forbid it. You can't let them have the right to make you a victim. Listen to what was being said. I am a victim of Eve. 
This is what's being said. I am a victim of Eve. I am a victim of the snake. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. You hear what they're screaming? Victim mentality started there, right from the beginning. If you think in terms of blame, you are also giving someone or an event or something that has happened or an act or trauma the right to run your life. And the devil will sneak right into your garden and he will smuggle blame and death in and he'll tell you you're not going to die and he'll take it right to the core of who you are. And this has to be something that is settled inside of yourself. You do not give anyone the right to do this to you. When you say these words to me, when you say these words to yourself, when you say these words to God, you make me angry. Our reaction is kind of like this. Well, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been so angry. That's our thought. That's our self-talk that goes in. You made me angry. It's the voice of blame. It's the voice of the victim. And it's the voice of powerlessness. Amen.